You're listening to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I'm honored to share with you conversations for the health of all things. In these special episodes, I am joined by guests on the show to explore how the osteopathic concept presents in their lives and learn about their personal and professional stories. Ranging from osteopathic physicians to those familiar with osteopathic treatment to those associated with osteopathic medicine in a variety of settings, these conversations provide new perspective on lighting the way for the path to best health. Please note that while I am a physician and may interview other physicians, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey, back with an episode of Conversations for the Health of All Things. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Johanna Moore. She's a pathologist on the Central Coast of California and the founder of She Is Money. This is a society for ambitious women who need advanced success skills and strategies so they can achieve their goals and dreams. Thanks so much for joining me today. Of course. I'm so happy to be here. Excellent. Well, tell my listeners about your story, your work in medicine and with She Is Money. Yes, I am a dermatopathologist by trade, and I also help run the laboratories in my area. Um, So I think... My story begins with the fact that probably is similar to yours, that I've always been an achiever. And I know a little bit about your history. You know, I, I play an instrument, I played the violin, and and I, I swam, I, I swam for Ohio State varsity, and, and I went and I, I did all my fellowship and residencies at, at the Harvard affiliate program at Mass mm-hmm. General. And so I always was succeeding. It was it was kind of part of who I was. Yeah. And but the thing that I learned was that my success was based largely on my innate skills mm-hmm. as well as resources that were always given to me and a little bit by fate. Mm-hmm. And but the thing is is that fate is a really really bad storyteller. So if you mm-hmm. just depend on those things, then sooner or later you run into a rut. Mm-hmm. And I definitely ran into a rut um, maybe a couple years ago. And it first started when I had kids. Mm-hmm. And I have two kids. I have twins. Um, and they're wonderful. And I love them. But they definitely depleted all my resources. Yeah. And so <laughs> instead of taking care of my plant in my studio apartment, I was taking care of you know, them and my husband and, and my whole family, basically. Mm-hmm. And that was really difficult and challenging for me. And I think when you're trying to achieve your own personal goals, but you don't have any more time or energy or sleep or money, it's really hard to come to grips with that. And especially when you've always succeeded and it's always been really, really easy. Mm-hmm. And so that was that was difficult for me. And I, I really had to delve into learning new strategies and kind of change the person I was and the way that I was attacking, you know, my goals and my dreams. And so I had to really learn a lot about how to do more with less time. Mm-hmm. And so that that really started my my journey towards more success strategy. And the other thing that happened was that um, my children were suddenly my whole life. Mm-hmm. And 
I felt like I really needed to raise these little citizens to become amazing people. And Mm -hmm. so we have, we only have two rules in my house. The first rule is number one, stay alive. (laughs) And the second rule is be the best person you can be. Mm -hmm. And I realized that trying to teach somebody else those two rules was a lot more complicated than I initially thought. Mm -hmm. And um, so I really started learning a lot about, you know, all the children's books I started reading about how to raise your children. And I realized that I needed to know how to communicate better, how to negotiate, how to really connect at a deep level with someone and how to know what they're thinking. So I started reading more about, you know, emotional intelligence, about empathy, about Mm -hmm. dealing with a team and, and a lot of things that kind of, I think in medicine, especially as a pathologist, I was really science-based and, and we don't really talk about our feelings that much in that arena. And even though I felt like I was always an innate leader and I connected with people compared to what I felt like I needed for my children, it was like nothing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I really delved into that side instead of like, initially it was more like the skills and the science behind succeeding. But then it was also, well, how do you deeply connect and find fulfillment and happiness in that? Mm -hmm. So the two kind of different aspects melded together when I had my kids, which is amazing. They can do amazing things, children in our lives. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's been a, a wild ride. And I'm curious when, when you brought up your initial successes and that innate skill and, you know, I think about in osteopathic medicine, we had this innate self-healing capacity. We had a lot of amazingness within, right? We have all of that took us from these couple cells, right? To this amazing human now. And where do you find the ability to both credit yourself, right? For the things that you did, right? Swimming for a big 10 school is a pretty big deal, right? We would say that some work went into that on top of innate skills. So how do you marry that? How do you both credit yourself for it and notice when you might need some other strategies to help you along? I think that all of the accomplishments that I had until more recently, they came fairly easily, even though I worked hard. And part of it was because some of my innate skills were like the ability to, to stick with a habit, the ability to um, see a trigger and to react, you know, in a positive way towards that trigger. And so those things I learned pretty early on coming from a middle class, you know, fairly successful family. And, Mm -hmm. and so I was set up to succeed. And it wasn't until around the time where I had my kids, where I was not succeeding as much as I thought I should be Mm -hmm. in medicine and in my career path. And I, in the Central Coast, it's sort of like the middle of nowhere, honestly. And and after being in cities for so long, it's sort of a, a shocker, you know, all the physicians are men, a lot of them are older men, and it was just a different society for me. And I think navigating that and really learning how to succeed in that environment was was very difficult and I needed more skills than I innately had. 
Mm-hmm. And that's when I really had to start like looking into business actually and figuring out how people think and how they influence more. Mm-hmm. And I hear in there too, we put structure and function, right? So we need structure to make things work properly. And what I hear in there, you know, strategies and skills for success, you're putting that framework in place. And how are you finding it? How are you testing those to know what's getting you toward those goals for yourself and for those other ambitious, ambitious women like you that you're serving? Well, it's really funny. You hit a really great point. I think in medicine, we learn a lot of facts mm-hmm. and it's almost like a badge for us. Like, oh, I know all of this stuff. And, but we don't really have to apply it that much. Like we just apply it based on what some test has already shown. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't feel like that's how life really is. And I think you mentioned this in another podcast that when it comes down to it, it's that single patient and that mm-hmm. single person. And that is creative. That is a point where you have to kind of think outside of your, outside of the box. Mm-hmm. And um, so what I find is really helpful in accomplish, accomplishing goals that, that you're having a tough time with is to have that strategy, but also to have the courage to take action on that strategy and actually make it become something, you know, you have to create something. And that's a really different strategy from, from what we learn in medicine. In medicine, it's more like the, this is the protocol, this is what you do. Mm -hmm. And in real life, it's more like, okay, this is the protocol, but you have to actually like do it. (laughs) Like you have to do it, you know? So it's a little bit different. Um, yeah, it's interesting. And I remember in training, having some you know, PhD students who were going through at the same time as in medical school. And we would talk about how we were led to our paths, you know, one to interact with people more on the front and one to stay more, you know, on the back end of the work, but also that idea of testing hypotheses. And I think sometimes we miss that, you know, if we're not doing directly the research, which is interesting because I might think that takes us out of the interpersonal care and thoughtfulness, but actually that practice right, of testing it, right, and trying different ways and gathering data and being willing to troubleshoot, I think can be lost in, you know, kind of the classic practice of medicine. And I wonder how that shows up for you, you know, in the pathology world. And do you have some involvement in that way? You know, I know some of the pathologists I've worked with have been more in the research-oriented space. Has that come up for you where you do have an opportunity, perhaps even more than outside the clinical space to engage with that? Yeah, but I think that... One difference is that in science, at least in medical science, you usually have a pretty good hypothesis of where it's going to go. And and in real life, in business and in real life, you really should be testing like the whole day long, Mm -hmm. like little tests, you know, not just like, okay, this is my hypothesis going to take me three, five years to figure out (laughs) if it's working. Like it's more like, oh, no. I have to make this slight tweak right now and let's see how it works today Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) because you just don't have enough time in your life to wait that long. Yeah, such a good point. And I think relinquishing some of that, having it all figured out or having so many details in place versus let's just try it, right? Let's try something and make an adjustment because in medicine, we do, we want to have it all sorted out in advance, you know, and be like you said, 99% sure. We're just going to test that 1% piece of it. 
And how have you given yourself either a safety net or just been willing to walk out on the tightrope to say, okay, I'm willing to test things now, or I'm willing to just take a chance? Yeah, you, you ask a very interesting question because I think that's the basis for real success is being able to have that courage or that sort of platform where you feel secure to be able to do something like that. And uh, that's one thing that I really try to focus on with my clients is do in order for you to try something scary, you need to be sure that you have that base, that financial base, that emotional base to be able to just take that leap. And Mm -hmm. It's, I think for me, you know, a lot of who you will become and what your story is has to do with the story that you tell. Mm -hmm. And that story is, is what you tell yourself, but also what you tell other people. And if you are afraid to step forward and you have that tightness in your chest and you're, you don't know how to move forward for me, it's really helpful if you kind of like wallow in that feeling for a minute and just accept it, embrace it, and then think to yourself, how is this feeling different than excitement or another emotion that is similar, but with a different perspective? And so for me, doing scary things is exciting. It's not scary. And, you know, we talked about that today in, in our, our other meeting is, is mm-hmm. yeah, things are scary and I'm going to own that. But at the same time, it means it's a door that I need to walk through in order to become an, a different person. And, and so I think that's how I, I handle it is I just try to convince myself, tell myself a story that empowers me rather than leaving me there on the first step. Mm-hmm. I think that's so important to note as well that excitement and scary are often two sides of the same coin. And also they're just feelings and they don't have any real consequences, right? Other than just the energy they're bringing in our body. And it doesn't seem that way sometimes, right? We're scared of being scared and we avoid them, but just say, okay, right? Feeling there you are. And to be with it, especially if it's been painted for us that we're supposed to feel a certain way, we're supposed to be confident and certain. And, you know, that's the role of the physician. So to move forward while being scared, right, we might just totally turn away from that's not appropriate. And to reframe it as scared, just being one degree away from excitement, you know, really does open opportunities. And do you find reliable ways to make that shift, right, to take that one degree and actually just turn it so scary can just be exciting? I do a lot of work sort of hypnotizing my body and my mind to do things. So um, one, one example is, is the fear to excitement. One, one emotion that I really try to bring up in myself is gr- gratefulness and gratitude. And that's something else that you can kind of change. You don't, you don't really pivot your fear into that, but you sort of like push fear out of the way with, with gratitude. And, and so what one really cool thing that I do um, in order to kind of summon gratitude and get that fear gone is that I, I've conditioned my body to really feel gratitude when I hug my children. 
So when my children, they're six now. So, you know, for the past six years, I've still been able to like hold them in my, mm-hmm. in my arms. And so what I do is when I'm holding them, and, you know, they put their head on the nook of your shoulder and, and they just like collapse in you like little koalas. And I, mm-hmm. I think, oh, this is like the best feeling ever. And I, I actually put my right hand on my chest at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm not with them, I went through a series of months where when I wasn't with them, I did the same thing. And I thought of that, like I visualized holding them and what they smelled like. Mm -hmm. And I actually even stacked it more. I used like a specific chapstick that I only use like when I'm at home. And so I could Mm -hmm. smell it. And I, um, I attached it to a, to a specific song. So I had not only like my hand on my chest, but also I had auditory and in, you know, and also olfactory senses that were sort of primed for this feeling, this intense feeling. Mm-hmm. And um, so now, like anytime that I want to feel that way, I just put my hand on my chest and I don't have to have all of those other things. And it immediately pulls me out of whatever negative emotion I'm in. So that's mm-hmm. one little trick that you can use anytime you can program yourself basically to feel that way. Yeah, that's such a beautiful illustration. You, you really paint the picture and to go there with it. And to also say, just like when you had those innate skills and sometimes things need practice, right? And both can go together. And so thinking we should just be grateful and why we think that should just happen and shouldn't take some priming and some repetition and some different characteristics, right? Some people might really respond to the musical piece and that may be a key feature for them. And so I think really allowing that. And not saying, well, if you can't just get to gratitude, there's a problem. It's like, no, you practice all kinds of things, you know. And even though you had a lot of priming for success, you probably swam a lot of laps, right? And played a lot of scales to be able to do those things. And so it's okay to have practice for those and so encouraging. And like you said, then you can need fewer of them once you have imprinted it on your body and in your nervous system. That's a really great illustration. And I love that you also gave permission to not have to escape the negative emotions, right? It's a choosing. It's like, okay, I acknowledge it. And I would like to feel gratitude now. And so I'm going to take myself <laughs> there, yeah. right? We've Being in longer. charge. Yeah. <laughs> and I think we often can get swayed that the feelings control us. And anger is one that comes up a lot, you know, and I know frustration, which to me is kind of on that continuum toward anger seems to be one of the feelings that comes up for the women who seek your services and thinking that frustration's in charge, right? Like when I'm frustrated, like frustration has control of me. How do you deal with that? And how do you approach that either for yourself or with those who are working with you? When I was trying really hard to gain a partnership position in my, in my practice, I was increasingly arguing with my direct boss and and it wasn't going well. It was instead of me proving to him that I deserved it, I was just sort of arguing with him all the time. And it got to the point where I was really on the brink of like losing it. I was crying all the time. I was very short with my family. I could barely focus on anything. And I realized after the fact that my emotions were 
definitely getting in the way. And what I was feeling was so overbearing that it wasn't serving me. And so I made it an intention of mine to really appreciate my feelings, but to tell them that they weren't in charge and that sometimes you just really need to be able to negotiate, act, make a decision and move on and not have those feelings just completely overwhelming your system. Mm -hmm. And I found that, you know, what I was doing was, you know, in a way trying to win or punish the other person, but really it was mostly punishing myself. Mm -hmm. And so um, for me, I guess, I've seen it a lot in a lot of uh, my clients after I kind of figured it out for myself. And Mm -hmm. it's heartbreaking when you watch someone else going through that. And one example that I can tell you is that I had a girlfriend who she was getting ready. The contract for her hospital was over and she was getting sort of like getting pushed out. Like, so her, she owned the contract, but they were, they wanted to give it to another company. And um, the company was trying to be pretty gracious about it. Like they wanted her to stay on and continue the job, but to work for them. And she was so upset about it that she couldn't take this great opportunity to stay and kind of meld new relationships because she was so upset about losing the contract and she ended up just walking away and it wasn't even like a negotiation. It was like, I'm done with this. And I, I just felt like, how can you do that to yourself? (laughs) Like, Don't do that to yourself. Just like take it, take some breathing courses or Mm -hmm. something to just (laughs) be able to center yourself and be able to make a proper decision that, that serves you. So I I worked with with a lot of people about that, about just sort of appreciating those feelings because it means you care, Mm -hmm. but also being able to do the jujitsu thing so that you can actually get things done. Yes. And that can be a challenging place to be, right? We can't do the work for anyone, you know, and in medicine as well. And that can be challenging because we're often made responsible, right, for direct outcomes for patients when that's really not within our auspices. We can offer what we can and, right, they kind of have to take up that space. And similarly with clients, right, we can see what's happening and and offer to them and they have to walk that path forward. How do you find the capacity to hold that space, right? So to know, right, and to see and to trust that it is something that they'll have to do, I want to say on their own, right, but of their choosing, and you can't force it for someone else. I think that you need a lot of grace. Mm-hmm. I also feel sort of along a, the similar concept um, is that a lot of times people want something, but you know that they need something else, but they don't want what you know that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, an example is, you know, like someone with diabetes They come in and they want you to help them so that they feel better, but they don't really want to do all the work that it takes to get there. They don't want to change their diet and and things like that. And, And so I think you just have to be very patient with 
people, just like you should be patient with yourself. And mm-hmm. yeah, I guess um, all you can do is give them the tools and the skills and the facts and and give encourage them that it actually works. And, mm-hmm. and then they have to kind of deal with moving forward on their own. Yeah. And I think that just like allowing the feelings saying nothing has to change. Right. And so giving people permission to just be as they are and if they choose, right, there are options and it's fine to not choose them. And just knowing that we have the choice can actually be alleviating, right? So that we know we're not stuck anywhere. And if, and when we're ready, we can step out of it. But that's been one of the greatest lessons for me reinforced in the coaching realm, you know, and I felt it in medicine where there's nothing necessarily wrong with you. And that can be hard to say when we have right pathology, but also, right, this is you, right? You with this diagnosis or with this way of being and, right, we can just be with it or we can do this thing, right? And, and doing nothing in medicine can be a really hard place, right? When we're told, give an answer and give a solution and do something. And that grace really, I think, extends. Have you found it shifting your clinical perspective or professional relationships as you have opened up these skills for your other work? I think as a pathologist, it's more difficult to see that because I don't ever get to contact with the actual patients and, and rarely do I see what the repercussions or the results are except during Mm -hmm. tumor board. Um, And with my fellow physicians, I do find that I'm a lot more patient with them and understanding of their situation and why they want the diagnosis faster or why they're upset about something. I do find that I have a lot more understanding for that. Um, I think mostly it's helped me just in my own personal life is Mm -hmm. giving myself or somebody else the permission to figure it out. And, and that it doesn't have to be today and that they are amazing people. And and there's a phrase that a lot of people use is I'm good enough. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I really, I don't like that phrase. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is because you're so much better than that. I mean, everyone is so much better than good enough. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think I think you just sometimes need, there's a time and a place to stand and wait. And like I said before, wallow in whatever emotion that you're having or whatever experience you're going through. And sooner or later, there'll be a time when you tell yourself, this is enough. And this is, it's time for me to make that change. Mm-hmm. And we've heard different iterations. And when I think about thoughts and feelings and actions, I see them come up in our tenet around mind, body, spirits, you know, so mind representing thoughts and spirit kind of being the feelings that emerge and our body being the way we kind of give action to the world. And do you see how you nurture each of those with this work in that certain ones might be sticking points for certain people, whether it's their actions, right? How they attend to their body or their thoughts in their minds or their feelings in their spirit. For sure. I think that most people favor one, one of those things. And the really cool thing that we know in medicine is that 
they're all completely intertwined, even more so than we, we learned when we went to med school. I mean, we didn't really learn that much about neurobiology mm-hmm. the way that we know it works now. And, and I just think it's so amazing how a lot of the sides of the spirit or the emotions, they, they actually are so intertwined in your neurobiology and, and your, the hormones that, that are being released. And, and it's just so cool to see that how connected all of those things really are, even on a basic physiologic standpoint. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they are related, but I think that it's just really easy for somebody to focus on one of those things and maybe they haven't learned very much about how the other things interact with it. Mm-hmm. And do you find reliably for yourself, you had such a beautiful illustration of how you tap into feelings for how you serve body or mind effectively, you know, some of the practices you have around those? Yeah, well, actually, right now, um, one of the things that I need to finish by the end of the year is I'm getting my... Um, my NASM CPT accreditation. So I'm going to be a personal trainer. Oh, nice. So I'm definitely focusing on the body mm-hmm. right now and the mechanics of how you have a stable, you know, body so that you can move forward with strength and power. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing that I'm, I've really been focusing on working on and, and I'm hoping to bring to my practice this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so so the four things that I focus on in in She Is Money are one, mental acuity, two, physical activity and, and performance, three, emotional, spiritual aspects, and four, financial, financial mm-hmm. wealth. And um, I think that those four things are really important to kind of accomplish and to find out how they are connected mm-hmm. in order to succeed. And, and, and the cool thing is, is that whether you're trying to improve your, the way you think or the way your body moves and the actions you take or, or the way that you interact emotionally with yourself or, or socially, mm-hmm. I think that all of those things have, there's a, a framework that you can use in order to move forward in all of those things. And, and um, so that's the really cool thing is that mm-hmm. once you have that strategy set up that works, then you can apply it to anything. Absolutely. Yeah. That's sounds very osteopathic. You hit them all there. And, and the financial tenant has been so interesting. I've had a few guests on the podcast that that's their specialty and I would think, okay, how are we going to draw this in? And it's totally part of it, right? And financial sure. health is very much a part of what we face and the thoughts around it, because there's so much judgment involved. Even it's it's not about the numbers, right? It's really about that kind of security and sense of self that comes with it. That can be so powerful. Yeah, I think one thing that that I've really been thinking about a lot towards the end of the year, just sort of you know, one thing that I, I'm talking a lot about in my practice is, is reviewing your prior year and kind of getting ready for your next year. And one thing that I found that across the board is very helpful is that there is a lot of shame and a lot of guilt when it comes to reviewing those types of things, like mm-hmm. reviewing your finances from the past year what did you spend your money on reviewing your 
carb counts, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) your macros and your micros. And, and honestly, looking back on, on the past has its benefits, but you really only really need to know what you need to do next. Mm -hmm. And so I think that those emotions that, that are attached to finances, to weight, to how smart you are or what you're Mm -hmm. accomplishing, they, they're important because they tell you that you care about them, but they don't really help you to move forward and achieve more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Using them as reference points, but not anchors. I think it's such a helpful perspective to have. Well, it sounds like a fantastic program and the formation of it is happening in 2021 updates to the course and opportunities to participate. Yes. So right now I am inspiring on Facebook at mm-hmm. she is money and on Instagram it's she period is period money. Mm-hmm. And um, my website should be up by the new year and, mm-hmm. and we'll be up and rolling. Excellent. And tell us a little bit more about the name, the origins of the name, how that came to be. So my son's name is Max and my daughter's name is Mia. Mm -hmm. And they are basically like what I live for. Mm -hmm. And when I really started trying to make them the best people that they could be, I realized that they had so much potential and that they didn't even know what kind of potential they had. And, um, and that's kind of the inspiration of where she is money comes from is that I feel like a lot of women who have already accomplished so much, they feel like they don't realize how much that they really have to, to still accomplish and to still shine and and give Mm -hmm. to the world. And, and, um, Money is actually the name that my son calls my daughter because mm-hmm. for some reason she could, he, he couldn't say Mia, <laughs> so he would call her Money, mm-hmm. and so that name stuck and, and that's her nickname. So mm-hmm. so the the company is dedicated to her and to him, and and oh, I, I used her name. And sometimes mm-hmm. I use their their photos, but they don't that's really beautiful. Like <laughs> How sweet. I love that. Well, this has been fantastic. So many great opportunities, so many practical measures that the listeners can use. And as we wrap up, I'm curious how you would see yourself for the health of all things. Well, I think that it's really important for me to share with the world what I've learned about melding mind, body, and spirit into a success pattern and that they all are interrelated and that that's part of how you can live your dream even though you're chasing down your goals is when you have security in those three things. Mm -hmm. I love that. Well, thank you for sharing, for taking time to be with us here. And we'll put all of your information in the show notes so listeners can get in contact with you and may your work continue to expand and evolve. (laughs) Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of This Osteopathic Life, Conversations for the Health of All Things. Please take a moment to like, rate, and review the podcast. And if you would like to be featured as a guest or know someone who you'd like to nominate as a guest for an episode, 
please let me know at thisosteopathiclife at gmail.com. Visit the website at thisosteopathiclife.com or visit me on Instagram and Facebook at This Osteopathic Life. Thank you so much for listening.